This is AgriPulse Open Mic. I'm your host, Jeff Daly. Our guest this week is Florida U.S. Congressman Ted Yoho. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance. The American Sugar Alliance is working toward a global subsidy ceasefire. Learn more about the Zero for Zero plan at sugaralliance.org. AgriPulse Open Mic continues with Florida Representative Ted Yoho next. Sugar subsidies in 120 countries are on the rise and threatening 142,000 U.S. jobs. That's why the American Sugar Alliance is pushing for a global subsidy ceasefire. Their goal is a subsidy-free world market that fosters efficiency. And they know that unilateral disarmament of America's no-cost policy without concessions from abroad will only outsource U.S. jobs and reward foreign subsidizers. Their plan is called the Zero for Zero Sugar Policy, and you can learn more at sugaralliance.org. This is AgriPulse Open Mic. On a party-line vote last week, the House Judiciary Committee approved the Farm Workforce Modernization Act. The bill may find its way to the House floor next month. Florida 3rd District Representative Ted Yoho says the Lofgren New House legislation won't go any further than the lower chamber if two critical areas aren't amended. It allows people that are here illegally to get a green card and then move into citizenship. And this, this is something that has always blocked any kind of immigration or guest worker programs is it just runs into a stone wall. And so I think this is a red herring that will kill this bill. The other thing is it allow the migrant workers to go into our court system and sue our producers in the court of law versus arbitration like we have set up in the way it's been historically. And this is something that opens up for uh, lawsuits. We know the legal community will welcome this. You know, when you look at H-2A programs and things like that, you've got 90, 95 percent of the people returning to a lot of farms that we deal with in my state. And so this is something that speaks for itself that people are treated fairly and paid fairly. But when you open it up to litigation, it's going to drive the cost of labor up and it's going to restrict the availability of labor. When we talk to dairy groups and others that need workers year round, they're in favor of the legalization standpoint of the fact that they say they need people here year round. And they also say the workforce that they have is aging and they need to get them replaced. Is this the answer of coming up with an amnesty program? No, I, I think it's the wrong way. And then you add that on top of we we don't have strong border security the way we're supposed to. The Democrats, you know, the ones running for um, the the presidency, a lot of them in the Senate. A lot of the House members want open borders. So if you have an amnesty program and you have open borders, you have chaos. You have a breakdown of rule of law. And that's where you've got to have a guest worker program that allow people to enter the country legally anywhere on a 10-month temporary work visa or on a five-year work visa. It allows people to come in. It is not a pathway to citizenship. And I had Colin Peterson said, he even asked me, is there a pathway to citizenship in your bill? And I said, no. He goes, good, there shouldn't be. But now he's supporting the one that has amnesty in it. And, you know, this is something that it's a bill that's coming up, Lofgren's, and they are in the majority, and they got this rushed through. And um, it's it's a bill that's not going to solve this problem, and it, it'll die in the Senate. My, our bill is good for the producers. It's good for the worker, but it's good for America. Is your bill as far-reaching as this Lofgren bill? 
in different areas, it's further reaching. For instance, we redefine agriculture, which they didn't have in their bill until they took it out of our bill, and we went further in that. So, for instance, take the meat processing industry. The workers in a slaughterhouse or a processing facility, they fall under H2B. We redefine what an ag worker is in that if they're working with a product that is planted or grown and harvested, that's an agriculture product until it gets to the point where it goes to its first wholesale. So that would be a, a side of beef hanging on the rail or, you know, box beef, um, you know, getting ready to be sold. Their bill does not go that far to redefine that. So this bill has some traction now in the Democratic-led chamber. The Goodlett bill made some progress but couldn't find its way to the finish line. Is this a completely different piece of legislation than, than former Chairman Goodlett offered? Oh, absolutely. Bob didn't have amnesty in his bill. He allowed people to be in the country legally. They would have to go back home and do a touchback and then apply to the program. But it wasn't a pathway to citizenship. I think it was after 10 or 15 years they could apply for citizenship. Lofgren's bill allows people to get a green card, and it's a permanent green card. Really, those things are bad programs because people that get a green card, they get the benefits of being here as a resident. They get the benefits of American citizens. In addition, a lot of them don't become citizens because if they do, they have to forego a lot of the benefits that the green card status gives them. It's bad policy, and we've seen this in the past with the Cuban immigration policy, you know, the wet foot, dry foot. They got an automatic green card, and we've heard stories over and over again that people said, what, give up my green card status to become a citizen? Why? That's the wrong way we build America. That tears America apart. Are we trying to solve a problem when H-2A, that either it can be amended to resolve or does there need to be some new program? Whereas if someone comes into the U.S. to go to work in agriculture, they have to stay in agriculture? The way H-2A now works, they can come in on a temporary work visa. With Lofgren's bill and the way the bill works now, the H-2A program works now, they can come in under the guise of working in agriculture temporarily. But... We know historically 20 to 25% of those people abscond and work in construction or hospitality or landscaping. And so they get off of the ag visa, but yet an ag visa is taken up. And then they drift off of the visa because it runs out of time, it expires. And so they become part of that population that is in America illegally. They may have come in legally, but then they get off and then they work under the table. Our program on the H-2A temporary work side and on the five-year program, those workers get an identification card, and they're already enrolled in the E-Verify system before they come into the country and when they get their permit. So they come in, and in that identification card, there is the designation of AG at the end of both of the identification number, and we issue a 15-digit identification number. It is not a Social Security number. Taxes are taken out of that number just like they are now. But it dedicates that worker to the agriculture sector. So now our producers have a way that workers can come in legally in an E-Verify system. And they're, they're using workers that are already in the E-Verify system. So the ag workers are compliant and the producers are compliant. If that ag worker on either one of those programs decides they want to work construction, 
that contractor can't hire that worker on an ag visa because he's breaking the law. The worker has agreed that if he leaves and goes into another industry without the permission of a construction visa, they have broken the law subject to deportation, and then they'll be banned from reentering the country, and I think it's for a year time. So it's a way to provide producers with workers to come in legally, but it also commits that worker to work in ag and ag only. That is their commitment, and it puts them all in the E-Verify system, so it's a streamlined for our producers. I noted in September you'd made some comments, perhaps, that the wrong agency would be in charge of this particular program. You'd rather see it in ag than labor. What we do is we move ag labor from the Department of Labor to the USDA. I've heard too many stories from our producers and from um, labor contractors and from the migrants how the Department of Labor is almost, they're like the mob. I mean, they shake people down. It's extortion. And I can give you example after example. And so we figured the best people to monitor agriculture labor are people that know agriculture. This is a big win for our producers. And I think it'll make it a better and a fairer playing field for our uh, migrant workers. In this partisan Washington that we have different leadership in the House and in the Senate, is there a path forward for your proposal to bring the House bill to a measure that might actually find traction in the upper chamber? We have worked this bipartisanly in the House and the Senate. We've talked to close to 10 dozen senators bipartisanly, and we've done that in the House, and we're going to continue to do that. We've sat with people on the Judiciary Committee, both Republican and Democrats. We do have some Democrat sponsors on this bill, and so ours will be bipartisan, where we need people, if they really want to have a solution to this problem, if they really want to fix it, look at both bills, but I think they'll get behind our bill because ours truly solves the problem. When you're giving people a green card that are in the country illegally, you are giving blanket amnesty, and that is a non-starter. The Republicans won't support it. And see, they're trying to address immigration in a guest worker program. Our bill, in its purity of purpose, it is a guest worker program to allow people to come into the country and work, and they can stay up to five years. In addition to those people that are here illegally, we allow them a chance to get into a legal program. And once they get into the program, they're here for five years at a time, and they can renew four and a half years into the program. It gives protection to their family. So now you've taken a person that's in the country illegally that can't apply for citizenship because they're here illegally. They would have to go home and come back. Our bill allows them to come into this program. They would pay a $2,500 fine for breaking the law. But once they get legal in our program, they can apply for citizenship just like anybody else. They don't go to the front of the line. They don't get penalized. So our bill is a solution to labor shortages, and it also provides the security that a worker wants. Do you hope for a ruling that would allow your bill offered as an amendment? Our bill would have to be offered as a whole bill. I would be happy to work with her and try to get something that we could pass bipartisanly, but they said they're not moving on the green card issue. And that's just a non-starter for so many Republicans. I'm a member of the House Freedom Caucus, and we've got support with a lot of members in the Freedom Caucus. And if they can see that this bill does not provide amnesty, it fulfills the need for our producers, and it protects the migrant. I've talked to a certain member out of Iowa that is very hard on immigration, and he thinks he can work with me on this bill. So I know we're on the right path. Congressman, the FY20 budget is now funded with CRs. What do you see forward with regard to a true budget and a timetable? 
I don't see one. Unfortunately, you know, this CR, it went from the end of September till now, and now it goes from November till December 20th. These are short-term fixes that make our overall spending worse. This is something that's bad for our country. And until we get people in Congress that will say, we are going to fix this problem and stick to it, it's not going to happen, and people need to pray for this country. Congressman, on the East Coast and in your state, you've been hammered by hurricanes and the breadbasket of the country uh, by sure. flooding by the West Coast and wildfires. There was some emergency funds that were available that was approved through disaster assistance, but as we're trying to come up with funding for FY20, uh, is there any other means at which dollars will come to these communities, or are they left just to try to rebuild and restore on their own? You know, if we could get back to regular budgeting where we do a budget and do all 12 appropriations and do that for a year, I recommend two-year budgeting so we don't have this fight every year, we could do that. But when you have short-term spending, you can't do that. I mean, you'll get stuff put into a big omnibus that comes, and there might be little parts of that. But we're not strategically looking at what do we need to do to solve this problem. From both sides of the aisle and from both sides of the Capitol, there's calls for USMCA to be approved. Question for you, is it the right deal? Do you have concerns about the policy that's being presented? Yeah. Is it the right deal? Portions of it. I know for our big commodities like the grains and milk, it's a pretty decent bill. But when you come from a specialty crop state like Florida that I represent, it's a terrible deal. And we've talked to the administration. They know where I stand on it. NAFTA has decimated the Florida crops as far as tomatoes, you know, all the row crops. The seasonally competitive crops like green pepper squash, bell peppers, blueberries. We've seen a complete inverse of what we used to produce and Mexico produced to where we had the majority of the market. Mexico has done a complete reversal of that. Um, we just heard from a tomato farmer this week. We talked to them about the tomato agreement suspension, and now Mexico's got some diseases and bugs in their plants that we don't want to bring into this country, so that'll help our tomato producers, but the Mexican producers have said, not a problem. We're going to quadruple the amount of peppers we're planting. So that's going to kill our pepper farmers because we're competitive in season, but not on labor prices. So USMCA doesn't address labor issues like they're supposed to. They don't address the phytosanitary issues like they're supposed to. And um, it would be bad for agriculture in our southern state that grow competitively during the same season. We know that you serve on the House Committee on Foreign Affairs and certainly also right. on, on agriculture. So knowing that your two areas of service, how do you evaluate the president's position on China and what's your counsel to the White House? We're in alignment with the president on China. We cannot be strong enough on China, and uh, it would take longer than a few minutes to explain that. Um, China, there's a great book if people haven't read it. It's called The 100-Year Marathon. It's written by Michael Pillsbury. China has been very strategic for 100 years or 75 years into it of strategically cornering the market on rare earth metals, on the active pharmaceutical ingredients that go into the majority of the medicines that Americans take, over-the-counter and prescriptions. 100% of the vitamins and minerals that go into our livestock feed come from China, and the list I can go on and on. So a lot of the advantages that they have, they took from intellectual property theft, they take that information, and then they compete against us on a non-level playing field. And that's how, over a period of 30 or 40 years, 
you get a $400 billion a trade deficit, an additional five to $600 billion in intellectual property theft. So President Trump is doing the right thing and pushing hard, and he hadn't pushed hard enough as far as I'm concerned. You also have to understand that China's role is to take over the world. They said there, there is, in fact, we just had a hearing on this. They said there is no room in a world with Western democracy and Chinese socialism with Chinese characteristics, and that's pure communism. And so they have made the statement over and over again, there can only be, I think it's in their some of their historical sayings, you cannot have two suns in the sky at the same time. They're feeling their economic clout. They're building up their military, uh, five new aircraft carriers. They're cornering seaports, deep water seaports around the world. And they're only doing that so that they can be the world superpower at the expense of America. So every time somebody buys something made in China, you're feeding that engine that's going to consume us. Congressman, I want to shift to your area of expertise in veterinary medicine. In the confirmation hearings this week with regard to a new FDA commissioner, our friend Senator Roberts from Kansas offered concern about the nation's move toward antibiotic-free goals for livestock production. He said it's not risk-based. As a veterinarian and one who certainly understands animal health, is this an appropriate move or is this a move of concern for the livestock industry? I think it's a, a move of concern for the livestock industry. You know, we've gone through the period where everybody was had a bucket of polyotic or or mycin on their farm, you know, to feed their calves or their, you know, their pigs. Um, we've moved beyond that, and people have become very judicious in the use of antibiotics. You know, we've got best practice management on beef car- carcass quality. And so our farmers today and our producers are so much more knowledgeable and more, much more in tune to having their product painted with antibiotics. And if you talk to Dee Griffin, who is one of the head scientists and researchers, and I forget what university, maybe Kansas, if not, forgive me. When you talk to him, when he grades carcasses and does samples on these, there's less than 0.001% of antibiotics in any of this stuff, if any shows up. So we don't have an antibiotic problem. And to go to a zero antibiotic would put our production backwards, I think if it's used judiciously, I wasn't a fan of the veterinary feed directive. I think it went too far, but it seems like industry and uh, AVMA, which is the American Veterinary Medical Association, is okay with it. It looks like our producers have adapted, and if we use prudence in that legislation and you know just the safeguards we already have in our inspection, we don't have to go to zero antibiotics. I think that's something that is hype out there. The animal community gets blamed, the producers, for the antibiotic resistant in humans. And I fight against that because I've gone to our doctor over and over again with colds, and they'll put us immediately on a Z-Pack, which is a very potent, broad-spectrum antibiotic, and never do a culture. And I know when I was practicing, we would culture. You know, we'd do an autopsy, or if we had a live animal, we'd do cultures, put them on something immediately antibiotic-wise, but then we would get bacteria-specific antibodies to treat the disease and go through the withdrawals. And I think that's the way it should be used, and I think going to zero antibiotic would be a detriment. You recently uh, writing a letter to Secretary Purdue and asking for some help with the orange juice market in your state. This was a uh, fallout from the trade negotiations with China, and uh, California producers had done a good job to have 
their grade number one or grade eight oranges being able to be sold into the, that market uh, because they're affected by the trade war that we're having with China. I, I call it a trade adjustment. Whereas the Florida producers aren't known for grade A or grade one oranges. That's the one with the pretty skins and all that. We're more of a juice orange. That got excluded. And so we're put at a disadvantage in this whole process. And then you add Hurricane Irma and all these other hurricanes that have come in. It's really put a strain on our farmers. And then you throw citrus greening on that. This is something that our farmers need that help at this time because Part of this is the trade negotiations that is not their fault, and it's not right if California gets a, a carve-out for their oranges, but Florida doesn't, and so we want that adjusted. Congressman Yoho, we certainly hope you have a great Thanksgiving holiday with family and with friends. We thank you for taking time at a busy schedule to visit with us here on Open Mic. Congressman, it's Open Mic, and you get the last word. <laughs> well, I appreciate it, Jeff. I, you know, we are so blessed to live in this country, and we've got so many great things going for us that I know we can get hung up in impeachment and all this other stuff. If we start working in Congress as Americans and put politics aside and just do things that are best for America, everybody wins. And that's why we're so passionate about our guest worker program. We want people to go to our website. It's yoho, Y-O-H-O, dot house, dot gov. They can go to the legislation tab, click on that. A drop-down menu comes down that says uh, agriculture guest worker program. Give us your feedback on that. If you like it, and I hope you do, and I think you will, let your representatives in the U.S. House know and your senators say, we want this bill passed because it fulfills the needs of not just agriculture and our producers, but for America. And it'll make this country stronger, and it gives that predictability and reliable workforce that we all want. So with that, everybody, have a wonderful Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving, and thanks for the opportunity to be on your show. Our thanks to Florida 3rd District Representative Ted Yoho, our guest this week on Open Mic. AgriPulse Open Mic is brought to you by the American Sugar Alliance. The American Sugar Alliance is working toward a global subsidy ceasefire. Learn more about the Zero for Zero plan at sugaralliance.org. For AgriPulse, I'm Jeff Daly. 